Country Today podcasts, where we bring you the latest in foot and ankle medicine and surgery from leaders in the field. I'm Dr. Jennifer Spector, the Managing Editor for Podiatry Today. And today we welcome back Dr. Robert Smith to talk to us about a very difficult but very important topic for healthcare practitioners across the board, human trafficking. Dr. Smith is currently in private practice in Ormond Beach, Florida, and was deployed to Iraq as a member of a medical team that created, established, and operated an inpatient and outpatient pharmacy for military and civilians from 2013 to 2016. He continues to consult for multiple government agencies, and he has been a very prolific author, lecturer, and speaker on multiple topics surrounding podiatric medicine. Today, Dr. Smith will discuss with us ways to identify victims and survivors of human trafficking, behaviors that we should be on the lookout for, point us towards resources so that we can best serve this patient population, and hopefully open our eyes to a population of patients that really need our attention. Dr. Smith, it's a pleasure to have you back with us again today. It's a great pleasure to have a conversation and an opportunity to give a podcast centered on a very important topic for our profession. Dr. Smith, you've written multiple research articles, given CME lectures, podcasts, and presentations on so many topics like CBD, HIV, AIDS, legal aspects of prescribing, drug development, drug ADRs, medical errors, risk management, the opioid crisis, and human trafficking that are very voluminous when you look within the podiatric literature. Because you've had so many expansive discussions with our peers, can you describe for our audience your interest in some of these topics and how it all got started? While I practiced as an ambulatory hospital and nursing home pharmacist, I became conscious of the interprofessional or interdisciplinary approach that the pharmacy profession could embrace. I still remember my first IDT or interdisciplinary team meeting or rounds being a nervous, uh, freshly graduated pharmacist. And I was quizzed by the psychologist, social worker, patient's caretaker, and court-appointed guardian ad litem more than I was by the dietitian, the physician, or the nurse. And this encounter allowed me to appreciate breaking out of the pharmacy medical silo and view healthcare with the intent of a spotlight view of 180 degrees, thus empowering me to view many factors when solving healthcare issues uh, in my pharmacist role. Hence, I began to study public health, bioethics, pharmacy and medical law, politics, and societal response to disease, as well as volunteering as a guardian ad litem and applying to law school at the University of Florida. Fortunately for me, my acceptance letter uh, to podiatric medical school came before my acceptance letter to law school. I uh, carried this scope or this flashlight spotlight view throughout podiatric medical school, residency, and my podiatric practice. And even today, teaching on the opioid crisis, medical errors, risk management, and historically HIV and the role of the podiatric physician. Human trafficking is an extremely important topic where the healthcare team has a significant role in prevention and support of these survivors. What role specifically do you think 
podiatric medicine can play in all of this. I strongly believe our role is essential when identifying signs of human trafficking, and we must be always deliberate in our observations. Our conversation here, I will try to give a basic introduction and focus on action items because I've previously offered statistics, definitions, and summaries in previously published articles and lectures. But first, we have to address the elephant in the room. Communicating with victims of human trafficking can be intimidating for all healthcare providers, and we must acknowledge and accept that. It's true that that communication and its importance cannot be overstated. That being said, can you give the audience some potential examples of interactions that could arise with human trafficking victims? What comes to mind is that healthcare providers are among the few professionals likely to encounter human trafficking victims. 50% of trafficking victims have seen a healthcare professional. Now, of course, our office practices are a place of contact. The emergency room encounters can occur. Essentially, I developed a uh, transient foot care clinic and foot screening uh, to help with uh, palliative care um, for patients needing care that uh, are homeless and are living on the streets. But let us think of disasters. Disasters increase the risk that persons will become victims of human trafficking for several reasons. Disasters create chaos and disrupt systems that are in place to protect people. Predators of human trafficking are able to exploit these conditions, and disasters may cause survivors to engage in survival strategies in order to beat and meet uh, their basic needs. Individuals may voluntarily go with a stranger if they promise them uh, goods such as food, water, shelter, and transportation. Now let us not forget that children may become separated from their parents or other adults during disasters, making them vulnerable to be taken advantage of. So Dr. Smith, when podiatrists are in these clinical locations, what are some common behaviors that might alert the podiatric physician to potential victims or survivors of human trafficking? We must realize that uh, victims don't always look and act and think the same or what we expect. Not all trafficking victims are kidnapped or locked away. Some victims don't view themselves as victims at all. And many victims come from situations that they believe to be worse than being used or sold for sex or exploited for labor. They may feel ashamed which is very powerful in keeping them quiet and preventing them to ask for help. And victims of sex trafficking may be conditioned and controlled through combinations uh, following methods of starvation, isolation, beating, torture, threats of violence to them or their family, forced into drug use, cultural belief and denial of medical and uh, medications, and they may fear or love their trafficker or feel connected to them. Now, if we look at children from a variety of backgrounds, um, children uh, that have risk factors include behavioral problems or mental illness, low self-esteem, being a member of a sexual minority, uh, history of abuse or neglect, exposure to, uh, to intimate partner violence, or even caregiver substance abuse or criminality, definitely poverty, gang affiliation, and substance abuse. And we must not forget vulnerable immigration status. 
So what about some red flags that doctors could look out for? Dr. Spector, here are some red flags, but I recommend the podiatric physician continue to update themselves because these red flags are indeed evolving. Markings, as is tattoos, burns, or branding. Um, if the person seems to have resources beyond uh, what is typical, possession of prepaid credit cards or hotel keys, a fake ID, or not in control of the identification documents themselves. Uh, numerous school absences or their school problems, runaway or homeless, having large amounts of cash, jewelry, or new clothes, and that they dress inappropriately for the weather. Physical signs as like assault, again, branding, tattooing, fractures, bruising, or black eyes, or substance abuse, unexplained emotional trauma, fear, anxiety, depression, tension, or nervousness, and that uh, the youth provides conflicting personal information to law enforcement. Now the human trafficking red flags where it comes tattoos, surprisingly to myself, barcodes on the back of the neck or forearm or uh, inner thigh, a crown with or without initials, blatantly saying property of or master of, or a money bag uh, property of, or expletives, property of. So would it then be possible during our H&P history of present illness and other history taking portions of our encounter to use our skills as clinicians and identify potential victims of human trafficking? The podiatric physician can exercise careful listening and deductive reasoning, which is paramount, observing for verbal and nonverbal clues, as well as asking open-ended questions uh, in a private, non-judgmental way will allow us to determine a potential case for human trafficking. So throughout multiple healthcare institutions that we've all worked out of, there are sometimes informational posters and educational resources that sort of list top 10 red flags. I know the American Hospital Association has one. Could you tell us a little bit more about what this means and how we can absorb and apply this information? This is uh, what I determine or what I call, does the puzzle pieces fit? And there are 10 red flags uh, that we can use uh, that can alert us. The clinical presentation and oral history doesn't match up. Oral history is scripted or memorized or more mechanical. Someone with a patient exerts an unusual amount of control over the visit, and the patient appears fearful, anxious, and depressed, submissive, or paranoid. The patient is concerned about being arrested or jailed. The patient is concerned for safety. Evidence that care has been lacking uh, for prior or existing conditions. Tattoos or insignias, as I have spoken before, that indicate ownership occupation type injuries or physical ailments linked to their work, and finally, sexual transmitted infections. When we are declaring and using deductive reasoning, victims of labor trafficking tend to be near farms, fisheries, and factories, or businesses such as nail salons, massage parlors, restaurants, and areas of high immigrant populations. Also, domestic workers, nannies, elder adult care, um, begging rings, landscapers, construction workers. We need to be vigilant. We need to communicate with these patients 
Now there are a number of questions and I'm just going to go over a few of them. We can ask the individual who we suspect is being labor trafficked as are you being paid for the wages that you were part of an initial agreement? Can you change jobs if you want to? Would anything happen if you did indeed quit your job? Can you go and come as you please? Uh, take bathroom breaks or eat when you want? Do you live with others? Do you have a bed? Do you sleep on the floor? Is it too cold? Is it too hot? Do you owe a debt to your employer? Has your employer ever threatened you? Did you have eye protection or a mask or safety harness or even personal protective equipment such as gloves or respirators when you do your job? Does your employer provide you housing? Are you working in a job that you were hired to? And how many hours do you work a day? And how many days per week do you work? And do you take care of others? What physical exam findings might be relevant in identifying victims of human trafficking? Of course, obstetrical and gynecological complaints are usually outside our realm of practice. But if we're doing residency and we're in the ER or we find ourselves helping out, uh, we have to be on the lookout for uh, gynecological complaints. But size of bruising, especially around the lower back, uh, repeated beatings, muscular skeletal issues, such uh, as repeated signs of trauma. Interestingly enough, work-related injuries or injuries, but we could have a patient that exhibits back or lower extremity problems from wearing high heels for long hours of walking the streets. Again, fractures, old or new, and any uh, contractures, cigarette or scalding burnings, infections like impetigo, fungal infection, or signs of scabies or infestation, signs of nutritional deficit as in vitamin D deficiency because of lack of exposure of the sun, brittle or fine hair, mineral deficiencies, signs of anorexia, bulimia, loss of appetite, and that children may have growth or developmental abnormalities and especially dental caries and cavities, misaligned or poorly formed teeth, Neurological issues such as seizures, pseudo-seizures, numbness and tingling, migraines, the inability to concentrate, vertigo, or memory loss, insomnia, nightmares, and of course, signs of opioid or other addictions. Interestingly, I discovered this trouble hearing, damage to the auditory canal or eardrum, signs of trauma or lacerations of the mouth, uh, blood in the mouth, ulcerations, as I previously stated, uh, tooth decay, visual defects, sudden or gradual onset, um, signs of chest trauma, murmurs, again, cigarette burns, respiratory issues that would indicate inhalation of chemical exposure, toxic fume, asbestos, mold, or even toxic uh, fumes from working in a meth lab. Signs of tuberculosis, as in night sweats, coughing up blood, weight loss, stress-related respiratory as well as gastrointestinal problems, hyperthermia, hyperthermia, exposure, bruising to the back or scarring, damage to lung tissue after prolonged exposure to, like I said, pesticides, aspiration pneumonia, or other inhalation injuries. So let's say a provider does identify a potential victim of human trafficking. What next? What should that provider do to help formulate a plan? 
Once a victim is trafficking has been identified, we as the clinician as well as the client or patient will need to put together a plan of care. We should be aware that the provider cannot force the victim to report the crime. The victim and or victim's family may be at risk from immense harm if he or she reports the crime. If the victim is a minor, the provider is under legal obligation to phone Child Protective Services. Um, the plan of care has to be client or patient specific, but we need to consider and we need to offer or call the National Human Trafficking Response Center, which is 1-888-373-7888. This national referral line can assist in finding local resources for the victim and developing a safe plan that is acceptable to the client. And this is since the victims of human trafficking have already experienced significant powerless, this is an opportunity for us as the provider to purposely give the client some decision-making abilities. Human trafficking survivors require a health care that is trauma-informed and culturally sensitive to their particular needs. Coordination is needed between healthcare providers and statutory and voluntary organizations. What type of medical record documentation might be helpful in these scenarios? Documentation of physical findings is important and may assist the victim in prosecuting their trafficker at a later date. We must follow established documentation guidelines and reporting requirements based on our state and local statute and federal law to address previously. Photo documentation may prove vital, followed by protocols and policies specific to our institution that we have set for in our policy and procedures or the hospitals um, that we're working under. Obviously, this is something we wouldn't be able to resolve for this patient immediately. So what type of treatment protocols and pathways should we be pursuing with these patients? We as a provider should care for the immediate needs of the patient, and this may include treatment of physical trauma, sexual transmitted infections, diagnosis of pregnancy, and assessing for suicidal ideation. That responding to all victims' physical and emotional needs usually is outside the scope of the individual provider's practice because these patients will need long-term treatment uh, with an interdisciplinary team approach. What communication strategies might we employ when discussing plans and treatments with this patient population? We want to make sure that we establish that we are here to help the patient and it's our priority is their safety. We want to keep your safety and protect you and we're not going to try to make false promises. We only offer what we can uh, assess and provide and we can provide you with the medical care you need as well as find a place to stay. Everyone has a right to live without being abused or hurt and that includes them. And we want to offer that they deserve a chance to live their own life and take control of themselves. And um, we want to make sure they know we can get them the help to protect their family and children and that they can trust us and they have the right and deserve to be treated according to those rights. And no one should have to be afraid all the time. Does HIPAA come into play or in what way does HIPAA come into play when reporting human trafficking? 
in the context of HIPAA, um, I was able to find a reference uh, of reporting human trafficking under HIPAA. And it's essential that we do consider HIPAA concerns. Uh, we must obtain permission from the adult victim of the human trafficking to release any protective uh, health care information or personal identifiable health information to the National Human Trafficking Resource Center. Uh, if the victim is under the age of 18 and involved in Commercial Sex Act, we follow the mandated and mandatory state reporting laws for child abuse and institutional child abuse policies. Uh, HIPAA will permit the release of protective health information under certain circumstances, such as suspected injury or abuse, and that reporting is permissible under HIPAA regulations if the disclosure involves a crime in an emergency, any disclosures necessary to prevent harm if the patient consents to the disclosure, and any situation where local, state, and federal law requires reporting. You mentioned one already, but could you provide our listeners with some resources that they can utilize once identifying possible victims of human trafficking? Of course, the National Human Trafficking Hotline that I've given you before, they do have uh, a website that can be uh, found on the internet. They provide an online referral directory and 24-7 confidential support of all victims of, and survivors of sex and labor trafficking. There's the Office of Victims of Crimes that provides access to a database that can be searched for various services offered to victims of all forms of human trafficking. The United States Department of Justice. Now, when we look at physician training, the national training is the Polaris Project. Again, uh, we can look that up in the internet. The Health Professional Education Advocacy and Linkage. Uh, Heal Trafficking, uh, WordPress.com, Girls Education and Mentoring Service, or GEMS. If we look at local resources within our offices, we can maintain a list of housing units like Covenant House here in Florida, Catholic Charities um, with uh, Human Trafficking Assistance, Legal Services, uh, for instance, Legal Aid of Miami, Medical Services, Nova Southeastern University, Path to Freedom in Naples, um, where I went to school, University of Florida, they have educational and job training, um, Alachua County Coalition Against Human Trafficking, and then transportation that uh, will help with and has a nice relationship and understanding with our police services in our local institution. Could you give us an example of a potential clinical scenario that podiatrists could encounter with this? I realize it's going to be different from state to state, so listeners should be aware that the first steps may differ based on your region. But in general, what would you do if you identified a victim of human trafficking in your practice in Florida? Now, as a, as a clinical scenario, we discover a teen male patient is being trafficking, but he does not want anyone to know about his circumstance. And what is our best step? Well, we report first 800-96-ABUSE or 800-962-2873. And then we contact the National Human Trafficking Hotline, 888 373 7888. 
Well, you've covered quite a lot in a relatively short period of time, but if there was one thing that you wanted listeners to take away from this discussion today, what would that be? I just want to conclude with looking at SOAR, Stop, Observe, Ask, and Response. And this is a a nationwide uh, action group, educational group for healthcare providers, where we stop by we describe and learn the types of trafficking and our common risk factors. We observe, so we're identifying individuals and environmental indicators of trafficking. We ask, so therefore we screen and identify individuals who may have experienced trafficking using trauma-informed and personal-centered approach. And then response, we're going to address individual needs by coordinating across multidisciplinary stakeholders to deliver appropriate services. I believe that podiatric physicians are inclusive and watchful during our practice encounters, and I strongly believe we have a role which is essential when identifying signs of human trafficking, and we must be always deliberate. My hope is that this podcast and conversation and dialogue has given the podiatric physician data to assist and empower um, all of us to detect and assist in identifying victims and uh, seek out treatment for victims of human trafficking. Thank you, Dr. Smith, for sharing your knowledge and expertise with us today. And to the listeners, we hope you'll join us again soon for another Podiatry Today podcast. Don't forget you can listen to us on podiatrytoday.com or your favorite podcast platform. 